0: The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on all those that fear God. So come, let us worship the Lord our God.
1: Whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should should go, I will counsel you with my eye upon you.
2: Be glad, Lord.
1: let us pray. On this the Lord's Day, we rejoice and are glad to be worshiping you in your house, O God. And so we praise your holy name, for we adore you, O Lord. Today we remember our baptisms, as we prepare to share the bread and the drink of the vine around your table, O Christ. What a privilege it is to be members of the body of Christ, united with believers of the past as well as believers of the present, who are glad and who rejoice to come before you today. So accept our worship and be in our midst this day, O Holy Spirit. And it is in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray.
0: Grace and peace to you and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us gathered here in this sanctuary, as well as everyone locating, uh, worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather together in the name of the Lord. And because it is in Christ's name that we have gathered, our word of welcome is one that is extended always with no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. We would be glad if you members and guests like would please sign the friendship pad, which you'll see on your pew. If you will sign it and send it down the pew and back again, we will have the advantage of each other's names so that we might greet one another by name at the conclusion of this service. We'd also be very grateful if you would join us for a time of fellowship in Old Buttonwood Hall, which is just out this door to my right and down a short ramp. There you will find light refreshments, but most importantly, the opportunity for us to engage with one another more deeply. I'd like to highlight a few things from the announcements portion of your bulletin, and in one instance to give you a great deal more detail about one thing that is in the, uh, in the announcements. The first is to note that we are scheduling a new members class. I've heard from many of you already, and so we will be looking to schedule that in mid-March. So if you've not yet indicated your interest in joining the church and you would like to, just shoot me a note or call me in my office, and I'd love to add you to the list for that new members class in March. I would like to note as well that next Sunday uh, we will have a return visit from the students of Howard University. They have worshipped with us during Lent several years in a row now. They are an absolute delight to have with us and I am told there will be 55 students from Howard University joining us next Sunday or thereabouts. So please do plan to greet them after worship. and to stay for a light lunch sponsored by our mission committee. Deacons, don't panic, Jordana's gonna call you about that. But uh, (laughs) this has all come together rather quickly, and we would be absolutely delighted if you had planned to stay and to greet our guests from Howard University over a light lunch next Sunday following worship. Before worship, however, we will have our annual meeting of the congregation that will begin at 10 o'clock sharp. We have moved that meeting in recent years to between our two services in order to facilitate full participation of our congregation, as we have a service at 9 and a service at 11. Uh, The purpose of this meeting is, well, I don't even know how many fold, it's multi-fold. So let me run through those for you. This is giving you the extra detail on that. The first thing you'll do will be to hear the budget the session is already approved the congregation then hears it as a report from the session you will act on the recommendations of the officer nominating committee for the nomination of elders deacons and the officer nominating committee you will act as well on a recommendation from the session on a major update to our bylaws they're not that different but they were very out of date and we're bringing them up to date with this change to the bylaws and then finally only the congregation can amend the pastor's terms of call so you will vote on my terms of call at that meeting as well now that sounds like a lot to get through in a short time and it is a lot to get through so what we're going to do to facilitate that is you will receive a packet via email uh, at the end of the week in that packet you will have several videos that include presentations on the budget on the endowment uh, and, and other items of interest to the congregation we encourage you please to read those. Secondly, you'll receive a copy of the new bylaws. Now, I will tell you these bylaws have been well and thoroughly vetted by an attorney very familiar with the the nonprofit laws of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, so you can rest assured they are good bylaws. But if you have questions about them, we'll we'll also send an FAQ about that so that you may learn more about the bylaws as they come. And most importantly, if you are going to attend remotely, you are invited to do so, you will have to register in order to be able to participate with that, and instructions on registration will be on the web page and also in the packet so that you will know how to register to participate remotely. Uh, That meeting begins at 10 o'clock sharp, and it is important that we have a quorum for that, so I encourage all of you, please, to come. Also not just because we need a quorum, but because you, the congregation, need to know the business of the church, and so it's important that you're here for that annual meeting at 10 o'clock. Plan for a little bit longer Sunday. Come at ten, stay for worship and have a sandwich with Howard University afterwards. And it will be a rich and full day, I believe. I believe I've covered everything, which brings us now to our minute for community from Mac and Craig.
3: For those of you that don't know me, I'm Mac McLaren, and my question is: Do you remember when we had a church picture directory? Our new software package Realm can do this. It, it's time to see if we can generate a new directory. So heads up, it might be mostly electronic. But there's there's kind of a good news bad news scenario here. So the good news is that Realm has really strong security features. The bad news is that Realm has really strong security features. So, for example, Realm assumes that if you are in our church database, you are not part of our church directory unless you opt in. How do you opt in? Well, there's actually a form that we put back in the narthex that you can sign saying, I want to opt in to be listed in the church directory. Or there's a form that's going to be in Old Buttonwood that you can also sign. And there's a brochure you can pick up for some more information. Or you can contact the church office or get a hold of Craig or me any one of the Realm team. We're trying to make this simple. So if you are now part of the Realm online community, which many of you are, number one, you are deemed to have been opted in. That's fine. But you might have noticed there's some additional privacy settings within Realm. So, and a number of you selected the option called staff only, which means only the church staff can view your directory information, phone number, address, etc. And that's fine if that was your choice; it's totally your call. But if it was not intentional, I would ask you to consider another less restrictive setting called anyone in the church, which means just that: anyone in the church can view your information. This church not other churches, not Facebook, not Google. So is this a better approach? This Again, this has to be your personal call. And you can actually use your online Realm account or your smartphone to make these changes if you want. And then finally, you also can take a more granular approach to your security settings. Maybe you want to have your email be viewable by anyone in the church and maybe have your cell phone restricted to staff members only, or vice versa. And the thing to keep in mind is anything that's labeled as staff only will not be included in the church directory. So here's my request please prayerfully consider your privacy options with respect to Realm. Consider opting in. And two, consider changing at least some of those privacy settings to anyone in the church. Great.
4: Thanks, Mac. Uh, I wanted to just highlight a few financially-oriented improvements that Realm has allowed the church to make. Now, most of you get quarterly contribution statements. You can now opt to have your statement emailed to you instead of having it travel, maybe, through the postal system. This is especially useful For those of you who are like students, change street addresses frequently. Now better than electronic quarterly statements, Realm gives you online, real-time visibility into up to ten years of your giving and pledging history here at the church. This is definitely a nice-to-have at tax time. More than just getting visibility into your contribution history, you can now manage your giving through Realm. You can create a recurring gift. Suspend it, terminate it, whatever you choose. You are in control and you will remain in control. Now, some of you may be reluctant to use Realm because you don't feel comfortable with the technology, at least not yet. Well, that's fine. But know that the staff at the financial office is always available to help. You can do this. And I urge you to walk to the edge and then step forward
3: breathlessly.
1: And now, trusting in the gracious mercy of God, we come corporately to confess our sins before Almighty God. We are aware that God knows our actions and thoughts as well as our hearts, even before we confess our sins. And yet God calls us to repentance and confession, and promises God's mercy and forgiveness before we even ask for them. So hear us, Lord, as we together pray the prayer of confession found in our bulletin, and silently at the end as we pray individually. Eternal God, remind us of our baptism As we prepare to come to your table, remind us of your unconditional love poured out for the world. As we enter Lent, remind us of your body given for us so that we might know the depth and width of your love for humankind. So that secure in the knowledge of your love we may be honest with ourselves and you about our failures. Where we have failed to love, forgive us. Where we have failed to be generous, forgive us. Where we thought only of ourselves, forgive us. For what we can name only in the silence of our hearts, forgive us. Give us the grace to see ourselves as you see us in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Position to condemn only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Friends, believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. We come to the reading of Scripture. May God bless to our understanding the reading and the hearing of His Word. We begin with Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, and continuing with chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Here ends this reading. We turn now to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted forty days and forty nights and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. But Jesus said to him again, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, And suddenly angels came and waited on him. Here ends the second reading, thanks be to God.
0: Andrew and I personally walked the contract and the retainer over to the UPS store and overnighted it to the organ repair company. So we are hopeful that within a few weeks we will be back up and running. In the meantime, we are grateful as always to our musicians for their superb leadership of worship and not necessarily the most uh, advantageous of circumstances. So we look forward to the return of that and we thank you for your ingenuity in the interim. Our final reading of Scripture comes to us from the fifth chapter of Romans, there beginning at the twelfth verse and continuing through the nineteenth. Continue to listen now for the word of God to us this day. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned, sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned where there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who is to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If, because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion throughout the one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life Through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Let's revisit the notions of sin and grace today. It is, after all, the beginning of Lent, and I can't think of a better time to review and update our glossary of terms that we use as Christians. After all, Lent is the season when we put our own lives under the microscope, asking where we may need a touch-up in some cases, or perhaps in others, a whole-scale renovation. Let's Talk about sin, because without understanding sin, there is no understanding what goes wrong in this world. And to be fair, sometimes no amount of understanding sin will help us understand the world. But sometimes we do know what has gone wrong. We know what broke, and so we know what needs fixing. That's when we can work to heal the world. And to heal the world, to work with God to heal the world, we must understand grace. And likewise, there is a great deal about grace that we will never understand. But there is some that we can understand. And without grace, there is no moving on from what is broken. The passage we read from Genesis today is often called, wrongly, the narrative of the fall of humankind. Uh, Some folks prefer to think of it as the scapegoating of Eve, but that's not necessarily accurate either. And nor is this story The entry of sin into the world, interestingly enough, we don't get that perspective until we encounter Paul's understanding of the text. Original sin, the fall of humankind, however we term it, we are probably borrowing our language from medieval scholastic theologians. And many of the scholastics had, well, very screwy ideas about Women and the means by which sin is transmitted from generation to generation. I I don't want to be too indelicate about it, so let's just say that if the scholastics were right, a great big old shot of penicillin would have cured most of what ails the world in original sin and saved us from subsequent heartache. But that's not what Genesis teaches genesis is the story of beginnings it's the story of how things got to how they are it's the stories of the origins of creation now there's two versions of the story and there's a bias in every version of the creation and the axe being ground in this particular portion of the text is not whether or not eve succumbed first and subsequently tempted adam it's useful in this instance to remember that adam in the Hebrew is simply a generic term to indicate all of humankind the axe the writer is grinding here is whatever happened to Shalom whatever happened to this peaceful well-being that God has intended for all of humankind and for all of creation one might even say the operative question is where did we go wrong Genesis answers the story, answers the question with a story. There were these two humans in a garden, and with that, we move into a story of the willful misuse of God-given autonomy. God makes everything good and then says, okay, you are in charge. Take care. I'll be checking in from time to time. And oh, by the way, don't do that way the story appears, the first thing we did once God's back was turned was to run hell for leather to that tree. You would think we had a death wish. But there's more to it than that. It is a failure to understand human agency and the accountability we all bear when we hurt one another. It is a failure to understand God's created expectation of shalom and how that failure to understand endangers fragile relationships between ourselves and each other and between ourselves and God. Shalom. For which God created the world is a right relationship and sin is a broken relationship and sin always affects someone else and God. Uh, maybe it'll be helpful to think of sin as having an x-axis and a y-axis. On the x-axis, at the up and down, we might Allegorize our relationship with God. God is holy, and holiness is defined, at least in some measure, by the absence of sin as well as other qualities. Our sin causes that relationship to be broken, not by God's choice, but by ours, by our actions. We attempt to put distance between ourselves and God, and God is hurt by Now, the y-axis could represent our relationships with one another. The willful misuse of God-given autonomy crumbles those relationships as well. How can we trust someone who hurts us? How can we expect a trusting relationship From someone we have hurt, by our actions, we put distance between ourselves and one another. You might even say that by our actions, we put distance between our truest selves and who we are as we live in a world shaped by sin. And we might even ask, how can I even trust myself? Sin cuts us off from how we are created to live and who we are created to be. And it's not Adam and Eve's fault. They are just model sinners. Adam and Eve are not the vectors of sin. We do this ourselves, each of us, plenty. We do it in due course as we go through the, manner of our, through the nature of our lives. And our sin, as Paul alludes, in some cases is the same as theirs. The elevation of self-determination above the God's gift of shalom. I'm not talking about a healthy balance of self-interest and loving one's community. I'm talking about the deliberate choice of the self above all else. We are not primarily here thinking of the peccadilloes of moral, modern morality, though those can certainly be a good barometer of the quality of one's relationships. No, we are talking of what breaks Relationships. The repair of a broken relationship is serious business. The repair of a broken relationship is costly. Simply mediating our moral peccadilloes would hardly justify Jesus Christ going down to death in crucifixion. No, sin causes all of that. But the healing of humankind the restoration of relationship between friend and friend the reintegration of self with self and the assurance of shalom with god across all of creation that is grace where sin is the vandalism of shalom a deliberate choice of the elevation of the one over the many at the cost of creation with the one being you and you and you and me, grace is what repairs what is broken. I have now many times shared with you my working definition of grace, and I'm going to go right on doing it because it's important that we know of what we speak. Grace is the undeserved Unmerited, unconditional love of God. It is unmerited favor. We have done nothing for it. It is unearned. And there is nothing, nothing, nothing that we can do to make God withdraw it, it is unconditional, it is God's choice to be gracious to us. Unearned, unmerited, unconditional love of God. And what that means is that whatever the worst thing you have ever done may be, God has already chosen to love you, and to forgive you and anything I say to you I say to myself as well because grace is for all of creation as Paul reminds us that means that Jesus Christ's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all and while we are speaking of grace I'd like to put a very fine point on one aspect of grace sin and grace are not equal halves of a balanced equation grace is always greater because grace is from god and god is always greater indeed if sin and grace were equal halves we could just view our lives as cosmic balance sheets just make sure the ledger is even the tiniest bit to the positive before you exit this life and all will be well. Living well, living in God's grace, would be simple. Just try harder. But grace doesn't work that way. As far back as Augustine, we knew that we sin in our best deeds as well as our worst. Sinners trying harder only results in more sin. But grace is always greater. Than human sin and grace is greater because its source is God. Grace is the overflowing of God's love and in God's great generosity we are called and empowered to be vectors of God's grace. We can spread grace as far and wide as our hearts are able without fear of it ever running out. Indeed, it is in the giving of grace that we finally come fully to ourselves. Now in churches, we make space to grapple, or we should, with weighty topics such as, what is truth, and how does God call us to relate to one another and to the world around us? And what we're really considering is, what does it mean to be God's beloved community, and what does it mean for the greater community when we live in the truth that God has called us into a beloved place with one another? We must be critical of how we do that, which is why in Lent we come to consider ourselves. We come to consider ourselves as sinners in need of God's redeeming, in need of God's love and forgiveness. We come to consider ourselves as broken creations who need God to make us whole. We come to consider ourselves as we look at the relationships we enjoy with those around us and ask ourselves, perhaps, how can they be deeper? How can I live more fully with those God has put in the world around me? And here's the thing about a life of grace that seeks to go deeper into what it is God calls each of us to do and be. Going deeper means we can't go back to the simplicity of the garden Because in Jesus Christ, God has given us a new purpose. God has called us to work for the reconciliation of the world. A preacher I heard at Chautauqua a few years back posed a provocative question. Now this is not contained in the Genesis creation story, so don't send me any emails. I already know this isn't in the story. But the preacher asked essentially this, what if what if there was just the teensiest bit of reverse psychology at work here? What if God knew that the first thing we would do, we'd run to the tree? And what if, the preacher asked, what if God secretly was thrilled that Adam and Eve awakened to moral awareness because it meant that they were growing Becoming morally accountable for the creation God had entrusted to their care. What if that is what it means to live into the fullness of creation? And what if God barred the way back into the garden? Because that's not where we're called to be anymore. That what we're really called to do is to move forward to see the hurt of the world, and also to see that being morally accountable means knowing that we need to do something about it. Now, I know none of that's in the Genesis story, but you might be able to argue that the rest of the Bible tells us that. Indeed, those very scholastic theologians who didn't get original sin quite right hypothesized as well that the redeemed creation, full of the people of God living into what God has called them to be, is more perfect than creation before the rest of the story. I love a story from Archbishop Tutu and the Dalai Lama's book, The Book of Joy. They were sharing stories about forgiveness and the archbishop began to tell a story about a white woman named Beth who was struck by a bomb during one of the liberation movements. And it is hard to find innocence in such a thing as apartheid because participation in a system that subjugates people is sin, even if we are not directly the perpetrators ourselves. So the archbishop was sharing Beth's story of how shrapnel from the bomb had struck her and remained in her body, requiring her children to assist her in simple tasks like eating and bathing. And the narrator writes that when the archbishop got to this portion of the story, he had to pause and collect himself before he could continue. Because in a message to the holy man, the woman had said about the bomber, Tell him that I forgive him, and this is where the Archbishop had to pause, and I hope he forgives me. Grace, the love of God, unearned, unmerited, unconditional, is the only thing in all of creation that can restore relationships and heal broken lives. And you and I are invited to live into God's kingdom where that grace is a way of life. Starting as always and perhaps this Lent as never before, right here at the joyful feast of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
1: Let us say what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Remembering the words of our Lord Jesus who said, It is more blessed to give than to receive, Let us freely give of the resources God has given to us to bless and to help this church's ministry to the community and to the world. these gifts we pray that they be used to minister to people in this church throughout this community and in the world thank you for the privilege to give back to you what you have given to us in Christ's name amen
0: you may be seated friends this is the joyful feast of the Lord But what makes it joyful? Christ says to me, come to me all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. It is a joyful thing to lay down one's burdens. Christ says as well, come to me and receive reconciliation. It is a joyful thing to be reconciled to one another in Jesus Christ. Christ says, come and know me here. It is a joyful thing. To know our lord who in the breaking of the bread and giving it to the disciples opened their eyes and they could see him so even still dear friends it is to this table that we are invited to come to know our lord to be reconciled with one another and to lay down our burdens so come dear friends to the joyful feast of the lord let us pray the lord
1: be with you
0: and also with you
1: Lift up your hearts.
0: We lift them up to the Lord.
1: Let us give thanks to the Lord our God.
0: It is right to give our thanks and praise. It
1: is totally right and our greatest joy to give you thanks and praise, O God, our Creator and Redeemer. In your wisdom, you made all things and sustained them by your power. You formed us in your image in love to serve you and to adore you, but we forgot your promises and abandoned your commandments. In your mercy, you did not reject us, but still claimed us as your own. When we were slaves in Egypt, you freed us and led us through the waters of the sea you fed us with heavenly food in the wilderness and satisfied our thirst from desert springs on the holy mountain you gave us your law to guide us in your way through the waters of jordan you led us into the land of your promise and you sustained us in times of trial you spoke through prophets calling us to turn from our willful ways to new obedience and righteousness you sent your only son to be the way to eternal life therefore we praise you joining our voices with choirs of angels and with all the faithful of every time and place and forever sing to the glory of your name
0: God of majesty, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. He took upon himself the weight of our sin and carried the burden of our guilt. He shared our life in every way, and though tempted, was sinless to the end. Baptized as your own, he went willingly to his death, and by your power was raised to new life. In his dying and rising, you gave birth to your church. delivering us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. Remembering all your mighty and merciful acts, we take this bread and this wine from the gifts you have given us and celebrate with joy the redemption won for us in Jesus Christ. Accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, as a living and holy offering of ourselves, that our lives may proclaim the one crucified and risen. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ Christ has died, died.
2: Christ Christ is risen, risen. Christ
0: Christ will will come come again.
1: again. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts of bread and wine, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. By your Spirit, unite us with the living Christ and with all who are baptized in his name, that we may be one in ministry in every place. At this, as this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out to be the body of Christ in the world help us O god to be obedient to your call to love all your mercy and to live in peace with your whole creation guide us through the desert of life quench our thirst with the living waters satisfy our hunger with the bread of heaven give us strength to serve you faithfully and the promised day of resurrection. When with the redeemed of all the ages, we will feast with you at your table in glory. And now, as we take this bread, as he was about to surrender himself to suffering, Jesus took the bread and gave thanks and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
0: In the same manner after they had supped, he took the cup. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. For as often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's saving death until he comes again. Beloved, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us keep the feast.
1: Let us pray together the prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Our Father Father, who art art in heaven,
0: heaven, hallowed hallowed be be
1: thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation of our Lord shed for you. Christ, right the, the blood of, of Jesus shed for you. The blood of our Lord shed for you. The blood of Jesus shed for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. The blood of Jesus shed for you. blood of Jesus shed
4: for you.
0: Let us pray together once more gracious God we thank you and we praise you that in love you have reached across the abyss of our sin to bring us once more into your embrace now having fed us at Christ's table send us forth to be his body in this world through Christ our Lord we pray all these things amen Go now as Christ beloved who have been to this table in the sure and certain knowledge that you will return to this table in this life or in the life that is yet to come. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen.